First Peter 3, 15 through 16. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And we're back with the Blue Collar Berean Podcast with your host, the bearded Calvinist, Nate yeah, Kenley. I'm here. And myself, Scott McGrady. Yeah, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. Hey, before we jump back into what we were talking about with apologetics and how do we know what the true Christianity is, before we get back into that, we do want to let you know. In case you didn't know, some of you do. Our growing number of listeners that are excited to hear our new content coming out. Todd Friel talks about the tens and tens that listen to them. We got our threes and fours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you would like to know when um, new content new content comes out and other things that uh, we may be putting out there in the social media realm, you can get on our Facebook page and like our Facebook page. It's at facebook.com backslash blue collar bereans and like us there and follow our content there yeah smash that subscribe button <laughs> like us <laughs> for some reason that's that's what you're supposed to say I right think. yeah i think that's something like that yeah. free subscription yeah and uh and but speaking of wherever you listen to the blue collar bereans whatever podcast media you use make sure to subscribe there and if you like us give us a review or just email us that's another thing I meant to talk about, too, actually. That if you, yeah, if, uh, if for any reason to contact us, if you have any questions that maybe you'd like us to tackle on the show or any ideas for the show, you can reach us at bluecollarbereans at gmail.com. Again, bluecollarbereans at gmail.com. So with that, we are just going to jump back in to what we've been talking about. Uh, as, again, we discuss how can we know what is true out there how what how can we know with all the different religions and denominations that are there which ones are sharing the truth of who god is that we can really know god and uh, walk with him so i have found in my 15 years of working in a very uh secular sphere i'll call it work circle i've come across a lot of different arguments when i get the opportunity to share what i believe there's a few common recurring pushbacks, I'll say. And one of the common ones is, you know, okay, I, I'll grant you that there's a God. I'll grant you that there's a morality that we need to follow. But how do we know? How do we know what it is? Uh, there's, you know, you'd say it's Christianity, but even look at Christianity. There are, there's so many different kinds of Christianity out there. You know, there's the Catholics, there's Protestants, and even under Protestants, you've got all these different denominations. How do I know which one is the right one? So I, as far as other religions sure. uh, that are outside of Christendom, yeah. know, I think you know Matt Slick makes a really good point uh, in one of his articles at, at karm.org. Uh, I'll post the link in the show notes. He says, there are other belief systems that claim to be valid, but they are either non-verifiable historically or irrationally internally. For example, Mormonism clearly contradicts the Bible teaches God was a man on another planet, is married to a goddess wife, etc., has no historical evidence to validate the Book of Mormon, 
and teaches the logical impossibility of an eternal regression of causes. It teaches that there is an infinite regression of gods being formed, for example, an infinite list of causes in the past. But that is impossible since this would require crossing an infinite amount of time, causal events, to get to the present. Mm -hmm. But an infinite amount of time cannot be crossed, otherwise it isn't infinite. Therefore, there cannot be an infinite regression of new gods being formed, and Mormonism can't be true. Islam teaches that the Quran is the absolute truth revealed from their God, Allah. It further states, and this is critical, that if one fact in the Quran is incorrect, then Islam is not true. But the Quran teaches a man's seed comes from his chest, not his testes. It describes crucifixion before its invention. Quran 7, 123-124. Since these are not true, Islam can't be true. So... That's just an example. And uh, he goes on with atheism, too, why that's uh, a worldview that cannot be validified. And it's a really good article, I think. He makes a really good point on the different religions. He talks about Hinduism and Buddhism as well, New Age movement, on the inconsistencies, the the mm-hmm. irrationality of them. Right. As opposed to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so these other ones cannot stand up to the truth test. Mm-hmm. And I, I've heard, too, that Christianity is unique, and as opposed to all of the other religions, maybe aside, even atheism would kind of fall on this, and we see this now in this very secular mind thought. They still have something they worship, and they create this law that must be followed to achieve something. And all of the religions are set up this way, that they have a burden on you, the individual, that says you need to do this in order to achieve whatever its goal is. Everyone's goal is a little different. But all the other religions, they have this shared worldview where there is stuff that you have to do. If you do these things, you can achieve your goal, which, you know, like I say, all the goals are different. Whereas true Christianity is different in the fact that it says you can't achieve it. You have not, and you will not. It is impossible for us to do, for us to achieve. It is the one religion that says that God does it. God is intimately involved, and he does it for us, for his children. That, to me, is something that speaks a lot of volumes, even in this topic of how do we know which one is true. There's one that's, that's truly unique, and this one is, is unique in the sense that there is a intimacy involved in this God. He didn't just wind up the clock and just say and turn it loose and we're all just trying to make the best of what we have, which is deism. And then it's not a, a works-based system, which could be in many different kinds of theism, a polytheism. The, the Greeks had all these different gods they worshipped and different uh, multiple gods. You know, here's a god, there's a god, everywhere's a god, god, they're all over the place. And in those systems, they had to do things to appease these gods who are basically just like angry men. But yeah, Christianity is unique. There is a God who is intelligent, and he is thoughtful. It's not just a random process of events. He's intimately involved with his creation. He has revealed himself to us, and it's, it's there for the taking uh, for us to find. But there's all different flavors of Christianity. Sure. So are. what do we do with that? Huh. Well, I have a quote here from C.S. Lewis that I think is, is somewhat helpful uh, in reminding us that there is a right and wrong answer. So I'll just... I'll, just really quick with quoting C.S. Lewis. I think it's always good to give the little caveat that 
Uh, there's some things in C.S. Lewis that we can take and chew on. There's also a lot of bones that we can choke on. Right. So uh, we want to be careful Absolutely. when we're looking at C.S. Lewis. Right. I, I, I totally agree. And this is coming from his book, Mere Christianity, which does have a lot of good things. A lot of things I don't, I don't agree with, but at the very least, if you do read it, he will get you to think. Right in the first chapter, his strongest case is talking about morality, which we all know to be true. It, he talks about how God's law is written in our heart. But in his book here, he says, When I was an atheist, I had to try to persuade myself that most of the human race have always been wrong about the question that mattered to them most. When I became a Christian, I was able to make a more liberal view. But of course, being a Christian does not mean thinking that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right and they are wrong. As in arithmetic, there is only one right answer to a sum, and all other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. So I think that, that does a good job of summarizing, like when you, if you think about it in a, a mathematical equation, God has revealed himself. We've discussed his word is truth. He has revealed truth to us. And what he says is truth. And there is one right way to, to God. It's through, it's through Jesus. And he has also revealed to us, the believers, the church, how we should act, how we should do things, how we, have, uh, how we should operate. That being said, I'm still human. And when I read scriptures, I still have to fight with my human flesh, my human heart, and sometimes I can get it wrong. So that may mean that I might think that baptism needs to be dunking underwater. You might think baptism means sprinkling with, I don't know, a spritzer of some sort. And being that scripture, I think it's clear, but I understand how we can read things and come to different conclusions. That's why I think we see the different denominations we have. There are a plethora of them, for sure. But I think when we look at the core tenets of Christianity, what puts something, someone or some church or some group under that core, there is a right answer. And I think of, you know, under Protestantism is where we can live under the umbrella of Christianity, where God has come to earth. He has paid our debt through faith and repentance, looking, turning towards Jesus. We can accept that gift that he's given, and that puts us under that umbrella of Christianity. But there's going to be some different denominational differences on how we do the ordinances, how we set up our church polity, our church politics, and remembering that we always need to go back and appeal to Scripture. Back to that mathematical equation illustration. There is a right and wrong to this, and we always need to appeal to what Jesus says, what God says in his word, as the right, and do our best to interpret and live out what he says. We can look around and say, well, maybe they've got it a little bit wrong, but certainly, in the mathematical equation, 2 plus 2, if they got 5, they're still pretty close. It's a far different cry from 2 plus 2 equals 100. I think we can look and see, you know, I can look at other neighboring denominations and say, well, I think that they've got enough to be called a fellow brother in Christ. Maybe they've got some of their math a little bit wrong here. And I think there even could be reason for us to separate to a certain degree over these matters. But I'd still put them under Christianity versus some other false religions out there that I think really skew the gospel bad, and that puts them on a totally different planet from where, where we're at.
even those that consider themselves Christian. Sure. So even those that would be, that would label themselves under Christendom. Absolutely. But yet in liberal Protestantism or Roman Catholicism or even in within Baptist denominations, sometimes just the term Baptist has just runs the gamut. Yeah. So in that sense, there's a lot of flavor of Christianity, but at the same time, there's the sense like you were just saying where, you know, we have a Presbyterian brother and they have that, theology that in which they baptize their babies and bring them into the covenant mm-hmm. under the family and there's other that would be Lutherans who would have the gospel and the authority of scripture uh, and yet we wouldn't agree with them on communion right uh, and so there's those different things that do divide to a degree and yet we would say no but we're all under the umbrella of, of orthodox, right. true Christianity, in that we have the gospel, we have those essentials. As we talked about last time, you know, there's the the primary things, the essential things that we we go to the mat on. We don't just agree to disagree, mm-hmm. and so we hold to those. And that's those are the things that distinguish between true Christians and not true Christians. But then you have the secondary and tertiary things that we talked about in the last two episodes, uh, the things that we will wrestle with each other and we want to sharpen each other on, but we're not going to divide to the extent of saying that we're not brothers right. in Christ. Right. And I, I think this this often, when I hear it, truthfully, I think it's used as an excuse to say, well, I don't have to search. I don't have to, to read. I don't have to do my own research to figure out which one is the right one. It's often, it's, I don't want to know the right one. So here's an excuse. The, the point is, is we need to appeal to what is objective truth, and that comes from God and God alone, and he's given it to us, and we need to search it out. So it doesn't matter what the label is. Like you said, even under the umbrella of Baptists, there's a wide swath, a wide range of different beliefs. We need to always check them on the scriptures. What does God say in his word? All right, and even in the areas where there might be difference in those we would call brothers, I think one thing John Owens said I think is, is very important here in that, that what God intended to be clear, he made clear. Mm-hmm. So those essential truths that we cannot divide on, right. what the gospel is, salvation through Christ alone. I mean, <clears throat> those things are crystal clear, who the person of Christ is, who God is, um, who we are as man before the holy God. I mean, these things are crystal clear, and they are the main things that that we can't divide over. Like Alistair Begg would say, you know, the... The clear things are the main things, um, mm-hmm. is the way he would put it. And uh, so that's, you know, part of, too, how we distinguish, you know, what, what are the things that are those essential things that we can't divide on? And what are the things that we can, that we're going to wrestle with each other with, right. but we're still going to be brothers? Right. So here's another popular, I'll say popular pushback that I, I've gotten, um, and it has to do with, with God's word. Um, there's... A few years back, it was it was all the rage. The what was the movie? The Da Vinci Code, and that the Da Vinci Code. If you don't know what it is, the movie about the hidden scriptures or other scriptures that were out there. The Gnostic Gospels. The Gnostic Gospels, um, and that it was based off of Dan Brown's book. Right. Um, oh, you're going somewhere else. Well, well. It was Dan Brown's book. Uh, where did I have it? Walter Bowers um, was he? He was one of the guys who popularized this idea uh, back in the '30s that in the early Christianity, after Christ's death, there was a plethora of different competing Christianities, 
It was really just a theory. It was one that hasn't held up to proof. But as we talked about before, how the human heart latches on, it's looking for these excuses. This is one of the excuses it latched onto and, and has commonly accepted as truth, even though it's not true. But his theory was that there was all these different competing Christianities out there. And the evidences that were left behind are these Gnostic Gospels, the Gospels of Thomas, all these different books that were just as much Bible as, as the ones that we have. And that all these competing different versions of Christianity, competing versions of, of orthodoxy were out there. And then somehow in 400, somewhere in four, three 400 BC, uh, when Constantine and... 325 BC. 325, there the, we go. The Council of Nicaea. Council of Nicaea. I knew it was somewhere in that early three to 400 <laughs> range. My dates aren't the best, so don't quote me as a historian. But I know this is the general summarization of how he compiled all the scriptures, him and his council, and they got rid of all these other Gnostic Gospels, they got rid of all these other ones, and then they, they compiled everything and made what we have as the Bible. They declared that to be the scriptures. And so then we are sitting here left, you know, like, well, what about these other Gospels? They're just as much as, they're just as reliable, reliable. Valid. As as the other scriptures we have, I mean, it was written by Thomas, right? Wasn't he one right. of the twelve? I know. And I mean, Mary on. Magdalene wrote one too. She was like the closest one to Jesus, and and then yeah, it gets it gets crazy. For anyone that is struggling with how do we know what is the right book, I can't recommend this book enough by Michael J. Kruger called Canon Revisited. He also has some DVDs through Legionnaire, but if you want all the in depth, it's there. But he, he, he breaks this apart and shows how, I mean, it's just insane to believe that a council, an emperor, whoever, could come together and eliminate all these other books. Once Christ died and his apostles went out, the scriptures went out in all directions. They didn't just stay in one local area. They weren't protected by one group of people. They went out. There were multiple lines of transmission, and the apostles were doing signs and wonders, authenticating their message, and they were writing down the scriptures and sending them out. And then churches were then copying them and sending other churches. And there's just the overwhelming amount of manuscript evidence we have for the scriptures, and the early dates we can attest to them is just, it's overwhelming. It's undeniable what is scripture. What we don't see is thousands and thousands of these copies going out of the Gospel of Thomas, or Mary Magdalene, or any of these other oddball Gnostic Gospels that we, you know, a lot of people make these crazy theories and movies about that are really popular, and our flesh grabs a hold of that. We say, well, see, this, pro this proves the Bible, you know, we can't, we can't hold what is actual scriptures as reliable. But there's just no evidence for that at all. And if we look at it carefully, we'll see the only reason we want to believe that is because our heart's telling us that. We're looking for excuses, excuses to not believe God's word. And so the whole idea that there were competing Christianities and that the one we have is just the one that won out and it has erased the rest of history is preposterous. There's no way that the Council of Nicaea and Constantine, if those scriptures were going out like the rest of them, that they could have actually compiled them all. We keep finding in new archaeological digs very recently more and more scriptures. We, we don't find a plethora of these other gospels out there. They're just not there. And most of them, the earliest dates we can attest to these other Gnostic gospels is in the 200s, 200 BC, 
Whereas the other ones, they're dated very early in the first century. They're really, really soon after uh, Christ was on earth. Yeah, and it's really insane to think that, like you said, to think that they, they're the ones who put the Bible together. Uh, what they did was just recognize what the church had already recognized as right. Scripture. It was For already hundreds of years. Right. And so all they did was clarify what was not, because the reason the council meets is because there's opposition coming to right. what was Orthodox Christianity. And so they had to come together and say, listen, we're declaring this is what we believe. This is what the church has always taught. This was, these are the books that we've had. And so anything outside of these boundaries is not true Christianity. So right. we're, we're setting a, a formula that states the boundaries that we've always held to, but we're stating it in a way that we can determine this is, you're outside of Christianity because you don't hold to this. But it was what the scriptures had always taught, what the church had always held to. Mm -hmm. It wasn't they were making the Bible in that moment. Right. And when it comes to Gnostic Gospels, like you said, they, they, were, they were written in a Greek that couldn't date those documents until 100 and 150 years after the apostles right. would have died. <laughs> right. Like, so you, you get into the second century and the latest apostle to die, John would have been already dead for over a hundred years. Right. And so there's no way, even as they're saying it's the gospel of Thomas, well, Thomas would have been dead for a very long time right. before that gospel was written. And, and I, we know that from the style of Greek that it was true. written in. And Kruger in his DVD talks about, you know, well, you know, it's it's, but it has the name Thomas. So why wouldn't it be from Thomas? And it, it, when you think about it, as we even talk about the human heart, if you if you wanted to to sound legit, if you wanted to get into Christianity and not be laughed off as an absolute heretic, well, you're going to have to come to them with something that they know, something that sounds familiar. So you don't say, "I'm going to write the Gospel of Bob." Who the heck is Bob? He wasn't one of the apostles. So you put a name on it that sounds apostolic so you put the gospel of thomas in there it's crazy to think that something that was written to you know 100 years after thomas was dead that he actually wrote but still that's what they're trying to appeal to you can see that's their motive in naming it what they did and i think that really goes to verify too what we've been saying how from the beginning humanity hasn't changed they were coming up with false religions then we're coming up with false religions now we the human heart continues to try to twist God's truth for his own benefit. And when you look at those Gnostic Gospels, I feel like there's you see similar sinful ideas creep in that aren't much different in any other false religion that really elevates man to a point that they shouldn't be. They they try to supersede God's authority and put man up there. And that's where we really see where I, as I described before, how true Christianity is something very different than all the other religions out there. True Christianity, it focuses on God, whereas false religions generally focus more on man. And so that's, that's a big clue when you're looking at some of these other things that didn't really have the traction that the true word of God did. It went everywhere. And it wasn't that there was really a lot of debate on that. There certainly there were a few smaller books that they weren't sure on. There was always a consensus as to what the core books of the Bible were. Uh, and like I say, if you want to know more about this, get Michael Kruger's DVD. He goes into a lot of detail. And, and like I say, you can put core groups of books. You can date them very early as accepted as a scripture by general Christianity that we have recorded in history. So then with all the, again, the different flavors of Christianity, you know, that many who are claiming that they believe the Bible, 
maybe they, they read the Bible in their services and they make a lot of talk, but how do we then distinguish between what is true Christianity? What is this denomination or this individual church that is true Christianity as opposed to one that is outside of true Christianity? How do we know and how can we tell what the difference is? We have a, a video here with James White, and again, I'll put the link to the video in the show notes as well. But uh, we think he gives a really helpful explanation in, in how we distinguish between church or denomination that, that is holding to true Christianity as opposed to one that is more man-centered and not true Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> one of the criticisms that particularly the new atheists would level at Christians would be, well, there's so many different varieties of Christianity, you know, it's choose your flavor. What advice would you give to someone who is fundamentally unchurched as to how they could go about discovering what the Bible says about Christianity? If there's so many different things being preached, even within the same denomination, how does someone who's on a search for the real objective truth begin to go about that search? Truth does not pander to flavor or taste. Um, And when you find a church or denomination that is focused upon satisfying the desire of people to edit truth to make it most conformable to their image and their desires, you're, you're looking at a group that you can, you can go ahead and mark them off and move on to somebody else. Um, the way that you determine truth in anything, you cannot define my logic teacher taught me this many, many years ago. You cannot define the word truth without using categories of consistency. And so you have to look for those who are consistent. You have to look for positions that are consistent. Uh, a consistent view of Scripture would be either to accept it for what Jesus taught it was. I mean, if you find someone who says, who claims to be a Christian, and, oh, I, I trust Jesus as my Savior, but then shows no interest in knowing what Jesus thought about Scripture, or no interest in holding the views of Scripture that Jesus himself did, that's a glaring inconsistency that should disqualify that person or that group from your thinking. But if you find someone who will accept what Jesus says about Scripture, and view it the same way he does, hence holding to Scripture as the sole infallible rule of faith, and uh, believing all of what Scripture has to say in all of its parts, Uh, Then you're going to, within that subgroup, look for those who are consistently interpreting that word, uh, that are not just picking and choosing what portions are going to emphasize, etc., etc. So it's, it's looking for consistency. The application of what they find in Scripture to all of life, to all of worship, Uh, These are the signposts that can lead a person who truly wants to find biblical Christianity uh, to those who are proclaiming it and practicing it. And what you're going to see along the way are all sorts of roads going off other directions where um, the scriptures are no longer the touchstone, uh, there are man's traditions, other new revelations, uh, a diminishment of the authority of scripture, whatever it might be. And those roads will take you off to some very populated valleys uh, with lots and lots of people in them, but I don't think you're going to find much light there. They're going to be very, very dark. And so, when when uh, when the new atheists point to all the different kinds of Christianity, there is there is a a level of validity to that argument. There is a level of validity to that argument. But I think the fact that we have such a wide variety 
is not due to any lack of clarity in the part of the Bible. Uh, it is primarily due to people not following what the Bible has to say, not believing in sola scriptura, the scriptures is sole and foul rule of faith of the church, not mm -hmm. believing in uh, the need for consistent interpretation. When you do not interpret scripture consistently, you can't say that the result is God speaking. If, if, you, if you believe in sola scriptura and you practice sola scriptura, then you're going to, you're going to consistently interpret the text of Scripture. You're going to, it's called hermeneutics, exegesis. And if you, if you don't put out a, a great effort to honestly seek to understand exactly what it is the original authors were communicating, then you can't say that the result of that is the Word of God. For example, if I were to send someone an email and they show no effort whatsoever to interpret what I've said within the context that I intended it, then they can't say that whatever, however they interpret that really represents me. But if they put out a real effort to interpret what I'm saying in the context in which I meant it, then their interpretation will reflect my thoughts and my intentions. When we honor the Word of God by handling it correctly, we are really showing that we believe this is God speaking, and I want to hear what God's saying, not what I think He should be saying. Uh, all of these are signposts that point us to those people who are accurately handling the Word of God. And, and I would say to, the, to, to Christians, the element of truth in what the New Atheists are saying, I think, is a sign of God's judgment. A couple of things I really like about that is, is just pointing out the idea of looking for consistency uh, in the way we present things and the way we, we look to God's Word. And a telltale sign of someone who is not in the truth is someone who goes against what Jesus said, Jesus' own view of Scripture. We can look at Scripture, we can look at Jesus' life, his teachings, and see that he has a very high view of Scripture. So when we go to a church and they don't think Scripture is all that great, or that it's that reliable, or, or they think it's just man's work and it's their best attempt to describe God in their own words, but it's fallible, it's not inerrant, uh, that's a pretty strong telltale sign that they are not, they're not consistent, because that's not what Jesus said. So they can't say to be a Jesus follower, to be a Christ follower, and not believe what Jesus believed. That's a, I think that's, that's certainly something we should be looking for. But isn't that very subjective? I mean, to look at and say, well, it's what Jesus said? I mean, isn't that just your interpretation of what Jesus said? Uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus speaks in plain language. <laughs> if you read it, it's not like you're questioning. I mean, there were some things where he did speak in parables, and he meant to, to keep the people he was speaking to in a little bit of a cloud, but it, it all comes out. He's very clear. It's not my interpretation. It's what he says. It's plain English in my language, but at the time it was plain, whatever language he spoke, it was plain to the common man to understand. Right. And so it goes back to really, you know, as we talked in previous episodes about hermeneutics, how do yeah. we read our Bibles? Right. And again, I mean, I think for specifically this conversation, the biggest thing is context, 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 mm -hmm. context drives meaning. Right. And so reading it and taking it for what it plainly says not cherry-picking a verse out of, out of a paragraph, out of the larger section, out of the book of a whole, asking, you know, what, what's the point of this whole book? What, what is this section talking about? What is this paragraph about? And understanding what is being said, again, within its context, and looking at the historical grammatical context of a passage to get what the author intended to say, as opposed to reading into it 
my own thoughts and opinions. Mm-hmm. And and then he gets to the point that that's the main reason why we see all these different diversity amongst uh, religions, it's, and, and even under the umbrella of Christianity, diff- different Christianities will say is because of man's bad interpretation. We keep reading bad meanings into it. We're not using proper hermeneutics. We're reading into the text stuff that isn't there, stuff that we want to be there. And that's where you see the the divisions, the branches, the working away from God. And the more of your own interpretation you throw into this book, the farther away from true Christianity you're going to get. So in summation to that, if you want to know which Christianity is true, go to what Jesus said is true. Uh, If we're talking about which Christianity is the right Christianity, I think going to the authority and author of Christianity, going to Christ, is going to tell us which Christianity is true. But don't take our word for it. Search the scriptures. Be a Berean. A blue-collar Berean. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.